So here's the issue. Right now, there are more podcast books and information on fitness than ever. But which ones have the best information? Which ones will help you grow as a person the most? Which ones will get you to the next level in your life? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Coach Cody Smith, and this is the Create Yourself Podcast. All right, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Create Yourself Podcast. Today is another awesome episode. I was joined by my friend Brian Borstein of Evolved Training Systems and Paragon Training Systems today, and today's conversation was all about program design. We jumped into all different types of subjects. We jumped on periodization, deloading, volume, intensity, frequency, programming for physique, programming at home. I mean, the entire conversation surrounded programming. And for me, I was literally sitting there taking notes. And I hope you guys are able to do the same thing with today's show. There's tons of knowledge bombs. And uh, it was great to have him back on to kind of catch up with him today. And, And I'm super excited for you guys to listen. So as always, go ahead and do me a favor immediately. Take a screenshot on your phone, and I want you to post it on your Instagram story or in your feed, really anywhere that you want to post it. But the goal is obviously to get this information and these messages out to more people, especially my coaches out there who need to learn more about program design. There's tons of golden nuggets inside of this show today. So uh, as always, take that screenshot on your phone, post it on your story, and then tag both Brian and I in it. He is at Brian Borstein on Instagram, and I am at Coach Cody Smith. The reason why we always ask you to do it, like I said, is to get this information out to more people and to help spread the gospel that is fitness and program design. So um, take that screenshot, post on your story, and then without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get Brian on here. All right, what's up, you guys? Thank you, uh, and welcome back to the Create Yourself Podcast. I am joined by my friend Brian today, back for the second time on the show. Uh, I actually heard Brian for the first time on my mentor's podcast, Cody McBroom, and he was just talking about program design. And since I literally started coaching, I've just been obsessed with program design. It's something that just, it just plucks the, the, you know, my thinking brain and gets me going and just keeps me energized and excited. And he was talking about a lot of things that number one, that I totally agreed with. And the other side of it too, was he made a lot of sense of some complicated subjects at the time that I had not yet wrapped my mind around. And I had him on the show. Great episode. I wish we could have jumped more into programming. And, uh, and I reached out to him, what, two, three weeks ago. And I was like, Brian, you got to come back on and we got to rap about some stuff. And uh, he agreed. So here he is, you guys. Brian, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Hey, dude, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. And uh, I'm super excited to get to delve into a little more kind of nitty gritty of programming because that's where my uh, my interest lies as well. For sure. For sure. So let's, let's start here. Uh, I, I, like I said, lots of a uh, great response to the first episode. People really loved it and heard your backstory. Um, so more or less, let's just, you know, catch us up on what you've been doing since, you know, a year and a half ago when I had you on. Yeah. So I think a year and a half ago, I was, uh, just beginning to venture into, uh, more of like a physique aesthetic style focus of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of was deeper into like the hybrid space at that point where I was taking these physique concepts of hypertrophy and evidence-based kind of focus of muscular development and combining them with some of like the metabolic fatigue aspects um, and conditioning components of CrossFit, as well as even throwing in some Olympic lifts. So um, I'm still kind of working in that realm a little bit, but I think that uh, honestly more of my following now and the people kind of doing my programs are veering more and more towards um, more of like a kind of purely physique um, style approach. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So 
I guess you're, I guess the first question I want to ask you is, um, you know, from switching to like doing like kind of the hybrid of mixing together, you know, resistance training and some of the more metabolic conditioning stuff, shifting to the physique, like the physique model, what's kind of a couple of the biggest changes that you've seen from moving from thing to thing so far? Yeah. Uh, for me personally or for clients or kind of a mix? Uh, of just for, we'll start with you and then we can go into clients after that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I think for me, the the main things that I noticed when I really started kind of even pushing further into the physique space and more eliminating kind of some of that Olympic work more and uh, and the conditioning focus is I ended up having more energy and focus for the hypertrophy work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just comes down to like the basic principle of you only have as much time and energy as you have to put into what you want to achieve. And the thing with CrossFit, as we all know, is that you're really just kind of trying to be good at everything. Which, which means that you can't be superior at anything necessarily. I mean, these guys, you know, you see Frazier snatching 315 or whatever it is, and that's, that's pretty elite, but it's not sure. snatching 400. Um, and so what I realized in, the, in kind of transitioning more into physique focus specifically is that I was finally able to put muscle on my frame, which was something that I'd been fighting against for, for a number of years since I was, you know, a newbie and an intermediate. Um, I hadn't really gained any significant strength or size trying to do the hybrid approach and as an advanced athlete i think that it becomes even more important that you pick a specific focus and really put your energy into that so more energy to put into that type of training um more passion more of my mental focus able to go into the program design of it um and then on top of that like i've never been someone that's like super injury prone but throughout years of you know competitive crossfit and olympic lifting i I did end up with, you know, a shoulder that bothered me and knees that were kind of achy and things like that. And since switching to like this purely physique focus, I literally just feel great all the time. Um, The only thing I have now is I have like a weird nagging kind of QL thing in my low back that acts up occasionally, but that's not even related to lifting. I actually aggravate it more by picking my kids up in like without bracing properly, you know, like I can stiff like a deadlift, you know, 350 for reps, but I'm perfectly set up every time. And then I go to pick my 30 pound kid up and I do it twisting and suddenly my QL blows out. So, um, you know, just having that diligent focus is important. Yeah. If you guys, if you, if you do not follow Brian, you should, cause number one, like, bro, you're jacked. Like you're, you've like, since I've been following, you've put on a, a significant, uh, amount of muscle mass um, through your, like your, your change in training. And I can agree 100% too, because I came primarily from, you know, competitive CrossFit. That was everything I did. That was everything I knew. That was how I programmed. And over the past, I would say two years, I've really transitioned more into, I wouldn't say 100% physique because I do still do a lot of conditioning, but um, I would say my conditioning, just as like an, a simple example, maybe I will do like a Metcon, you know, where in the past I would go for broke trying to go 100% the whole time. Maybe I look to, you know, 80% it as far as effort is concerned. And instead of doing, you know, like a barbell deadlift, I'll do kettlebell deadlifts. Or instead of doing a barbell front squat, I'll turn it into, you know, a goblet squat. Just trying to be more smart with my approach because that's probably the biggest takeaway for me is like the transition is like how much better my body feels. Like I always used to have like really bad hip pain. Like my hip flexors would really ache and I'm a taller guy. So I feel like that's um, something that like, all the squatting movements, I, you know, I don't know if there's something to be said about the, the extra range of motion of my limbs or not, but mm-hmm. um, my hips just always ache from all the, the, the volume and the heavy barbell stuff. And that's something I've noticed has gotten so much better just from that transition. Uh, so yeah, I'm curious. Have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was just gonna say you definitely have a larger lever when for sure. you're when you're hinging or, or having to squat or, or deadlift or anything, you have a longer way to go. So I'm sure that that contributes a little bit to it. Yeah. And, and now and I always tell this story about there was a period of time where I would got, I got up one morning and I'm like putting my, my socks and shoes on to go uh, coach my group session in my gym. And, you know, it's 5 a.m. And I was like having the worst trouble ever, ever just putting my socks and my shoes on <laughs> because my hips hurt so bad. And that's, you know, for the most part, non-existent now. So I'm curious, like from, you know, from doing the hybrid stuff and moving more into the, you know, the physique realm, as far as like the structure of your, your personal training for the day, what are some of the, like the biggest changes you made other than it kind of seems like you've taken out a lot of the Olympic lifting stuff from what I've seen. What are some of the other biggest changes that you made transitioning from like more of the CrossFit hybrid type stuff to the physique stuff? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is, um, is giving myself more rest. Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult for me to completely separate from that feeling that you get when, when you're doing CrossFit, where you feel like you need to keep doing more. Um, I think we touched on this on the last podcast a little bit, the whole fact of skill development where, where in CrossFit and with Olympic lifting specifically, there's that whole, like, I actually have to get better at performing a skill. I'm not just like training my muscles really. Um, so I always felt like taking time off was, was just time that I could have been spent practicing. And since switching over to physique, you know, really I begin, I've begun and I think I'm, I'm finally getting close to really nailing down what I need as far as recovery. Um, and quarantine went a really long way in helping me kind of identify that. Um, so when I first kind of switched to a, uh, like a push pull legs kind mm-hmm. of program, I was trying to go push pull legs, rest, push pull legs, rest. So it would be over like an eight day period. And I just kept like really struggling to get through the third day. Um, and so what I ended up implementing was, uh, where I'd go pull, push, rest, legs, rest. So I'd be working out three days over a five day cycle Mm -hmm. instead of three days on a four day cycle. Um, and that really was just huge for me. Um, especially with being a more advanced athlete and being able to put in more intensity into the lower body sessions. I just, I couldn't do them without a rest day before. And then I often found that I needed a rest day after and doing that, uh, pull, push, rest, legs, rest thing has been magical for me. I've been able to, to go into sessions feeling ready and recovered. Um, and then I was actually talking with, uh, Steve Hall over at revive stronger Mm -hmm. and, um, he's been doing two times a day split for a long time now, almost a year, I think. Um, but he's not training with any more volume than what I'm training with. He's just splitting each session into two sessions. So, um, he actually said when he started doing that, he started with legs and that's where I am at now is I'm like, man, doing like quads and then hams or hams and then quads just beats me down. So just for leg day, I've started doing, one of them in the AM and one of them in the PM. And it's the exact same amount of volume. So I'm not having two full sessions. I'm just taking two exercises for quads and I'm doing them in the morning, taking two exercises for hamstrings, doing them in the evening. And then on my second leg day, I switch that around, got uh, my sets for, for hams in the morning and then my sets for quads in the evening. Whichever one I'm doing in the morning is, is compound work and whatever one I'm doing in the evening is a little lower fatigue, um, higher stimulus type work. So you could think for hamstrings, maybe stiff-legged deadlifts or something I would do in the morning. And when hams are in the evening, it would be more like a leg curl or something like that. And just that small switch of even 
you know, giving myself more recovery between the leg sessions like that has been, has been huge and just putting in more effort. So, um, I think the lessons are that you can put in higher quality work, um, when you recover more between sessions and, um, that, that higher quality work allows you to, uh, just, you know, create that little extra couple percentage points that, that I think as you get become more advanced, become more important. Yeah. And you know, two things are really that come to mind, come to mind as you were kind of going through that was, um, number one, how important it is to be intentional with your training versus like doing a whole bunch of junk volume. Right. Cause how many, I mean, sure you've seen clients that come to you and you know, you'll give them, I'm sure uh, just from what I've personally seen, I often enhance my program. that's a lot less uh, volume on paper than they might expect. And I talk more about the intention and having quality repetitions and range of motion, all these different pieces. And it, um, it kind of comes at them. I feel like it kind of catches them off guard, but what you just kind of laid out was like how important it is to be intentional and in making sure that your training actually means something versus just doing it for, you know, sake of doing it. So that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. And then the other piece of it too, is that, uh, I'm curious for you, like a lot of people hear like two a day training and the first thing they think is like, oh man, that guy trains a lot. I should train two a days. But what the the statement that you make is that is like really profound that I hope people that are, you know, going to be hearing this will really key into is that you essentially took the same amount of volume you would do in two sessions and you spread it out between the two. Um, so I think that's super vital and something that I hope that uh, people kind of key into as you went through that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I really want to jump into, cause you kind of talked about like rest and recovery a little bit. And I know like I've read, I, I can think of like two or three different posts that you've talked about deloads, right? Like mm -hmm. how, how important they are and how, you know, once you discovered the, you know, the effectiveness of it, what it had done for your training. Um, walk me through kind of some examples. Well, first we'll start with like, why do you feel they're so important? And then kind of walk me through maybe one or two examples of how you would implement a deload. And I know that's going to be 100% individual, but if you know, mm -hmm throw out an avatar and kind of throw it out there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. No, no. deloads are a topic that is super close to my heart. And um, I think that a lot of my obsession with deloads comes from, you know, the population of people that we speak to, which are people that have some background of functional fitness. Usually like I don't yeah. get too many people that are just pure physique athletes because they generally understand the need for deloads. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, coming from the functional fitness space, it's been kind of something close to my heart that I've been really trying to, to, to put energy into to letting people know. So kind of, I think to get into a deload, you first need to, to look at the way you would construct a cycle and then define, you know, why the deload is necessary in that structure. Right. Um, so anytime that there is a cycle that's built, call it a mesocycle, which I generally consider to be a four to six week period. The purpose of that four to six week period is to accumulate fatigue. Um, the way in which you do that, you know, is, is argued across the evidence-based space constantly. You have like your, your RP approach where they literally try to tell you to add load, um, load reps and or um, sets pretty much every week. Sure. And, and that I feel like is an okay model maybe for an advanced athlete that really has a great understanding of their um, – their, their minimum and maximum levels of, of work that they can accomplish without, you know, approaching their maximal recovering volume and, and passing it. Um, I just like the general sentiment of accumulating fatigue because I think that that can be broken down into increasing perceived effort across the cycle. Um, so I tend to coach athletes to increase their proximity to failure or rather, I guess, decrease proximity to failure 
across the cycle and not necessarily add sets, although the use of sets is, is a tool that, that a coach can implement. Um, it can just get carried away really easily. For sure. So if we look at a four to six week period and we know that the end of the four to six week period, we want to essentially be approaching failure. Um, and then we know that we have four to six weeks where we need to build and accumulate, but we need to avoid failure. So the point for me, I try to start these four to six week periods at about three reps shy of failure, which again can be something that if you're not, if you've never experienced failure, it can be really difficult to say, okay, I'm three reps shy of failure. How do you know you're not really six reps shy of failure if you don't actually know what failure is? Um, which again, I don't think really matters because I think that ultimately the length of your mesocycle is determined by when you reach failure. So I don't care. Sure, start at six reps shy of failure if that's what ends up happening. Like the purpose is to start three reps shy of failure. But if you start six, who cares? That just means you're going to have a longer mesocycle because your mesocycle is going to go on and every week you're going to either add five pounds or you're going to add a rep or whatever it is. And each week you're going to get a little bit closer to failure and then eventually you reach failure. When you reach failure, that's the point where your fatigue has now began to mask your fitness. Essentially, if you were to do a week of failure training at the end of this progression, you probably need a deload week. If you don't need a deload week, then that's fine too. You, but if you don't need the deload week, then you better be able to exceed your performance from the prior week. And that's kind of the, the metrics that we use. So failure is kind of our first sign of like, okay, it's time for deload. You've reached failure. Your fatigue is really high. Maybe athlete comes to me and says, well, I'm at failure, but I still feel really good. I'm sleeping well. I'm eating well. I have, you know, good motivation to train. I'd love to push this for another week. Then I'm like, cool, let's do it. Let's push another week. If they're able to exceed their performance the next week, despite reaching failure the prior week, then that's awesome. Keep going. So the need to deload comes from either A, failure, or B, failure to be able to progress because your fatigue is so high. Sure. So now we've kind of reached the point where, where we need a deload, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, something that I think that you, like inside of that explanation that I think people need to really, really kind of key into is that um, to even know if you're reaching failure in a particular exercise from week to week or to know if you can, you know, progress the intensity or the, the weight on the bar, or the way the dumbbell, whatever it is that you, you know, whatever your metric of progression is from week to week. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of get carried away with, and this is like a belief that I have, and I believe we have the same one is like changing exercises and moving programs from microcycle to microcycle versus, you know, across a four to six week period, you can, for the most part, ensure that a person can get results or yourself or, you know, wherever you're coming to this show from, like you can pretty much ensure that you get results by tracking not only the metrics that Brian's talking about here as far as like reps from failure, but keeping your exercise selection from, you know, everybody has that, uh, it's like the, the name for it, it's kind of escaping me, but like, like not to necessarily program hopping, but they just get, um, gosh, it's escaping, but just changing so much from week to week to where like you can't even tell if you're progressing and it like mm -hmm. um for me like when i get our, and you probably see this too when you get that functional fitness athlete or that crossfit athlete that comes to you and they're used to you know constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity and you're like whoa like we're going to do the same thing for the next four to six weeks these are the metrics that we're tracking this is the progression that we would like to see this is how many reps from failure and they're like well that's a lot of thinking and uh i'm gonna get bored and i'm like well you know we and we have to play this game as coaches obviously there's adherence to we have to make sure that we're changing it enough to keep people excited, but not so much that where we can't get results to them. Um, and sometimes that comes down to a conversation, but uh, I love that you highlighted that because um, 
I think people might hear that and think from week to week, if they change exercises, they can go reps from failure. Whereas like, if you're going to ensure that you even need a deload, there has to be some sort of steady measure that um, is going to be there the entire time. You kind of agree with that? I too? really, yeah, no, I totally appreciate that you brought that up too. Cause that's usually something that I always talk about. And I was actually on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where I talked a lot about um, kind of all the science out on muscle damage mm-hmm. and even though soreness is, is more like a proxy for muscle damage. Like we don't really know for sure that just cause you get sore that you cause muscle damage, but like you probably sure. did. Um, the whole novelty of exercises, when you do a new exercise, you're hundred percent causing muscle damage because it's new. Like yeah. if you haven't, if you've been back squatting and then you go out and you lunge 400 meters or something stupid like that, like you're <laughs> going to get really fucking sore from the lunges. Really sore. Um, yeah. Are you, familiar exactly. with, uh, are you familiar with Corey Gregory? Yes, I know the name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he used to do this thing, squatter. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but it's like I, I wanted to, to hear your thoughts being you're kind of talking about it already. Um, so he had that program, you know, squat every day to where he literally squatted to a heavy single every day. And I did it and I got like, it's the only time that I ever uh, squatted over 400 pounds consistently for weeks, right? But something he had us doing was like four days a week, you would lunge 400 meters. In the first two to three weeks, you're so wicked sore. Like you're talking sitting down on the toilet, super uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, sorry, I just want to throw that in there and see if you'd even heard of them because that's something that we did for a couple of years. And of course, my joints and my hips about fell off after that. But uh, yeah, I know the name. I didn't know he was the squat every day guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. So so the, the thing with muscle damage is that it's actually kind of the opposite effect of what we want from our training. Um, one of the, the kind of tenets that I try to, to get people to understand when training in the style that I promote is that we want to chase minimal soreness or, or moderate soreness would be the way I'd describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, like if we're trying to follow an evidence-based approach where we're training each muscle group around twice a week, um, we need to make sure that, that we're recovered by the time that muscle group comes back again. And if we're a changing a bunch of exercises or B pushing to failure super quickly in a cycle and not allowing failure to come to us, so to speak, um, we're just going to get really sore and cause a bunch of muscle damage. And it's going to actually, your body's going to prioritize the healing of that muscle damage before it actually gets around to building new muscle tissue. So, um, I think what we want is like a couple subjective senses that we had a good workout like oh I got a pump in the muscle that I'm trying to train like it feels like I worked it um maybe a a couple hours after the workout we're walking up and down the stairs and we're still like ooh that was that was a shaky step right there like (laughs) you know that that was I I gotta put a little focus into that one but um we want these kind of in these kind of subjective measures of having a good workout but looking at what how, how sore you are the next day and being like oh I'm really fucking wrecked that means I had a great workout I would actually look at that and say that you had a shitty workout. Um, I think that what you want is more like that, those subjective measures. And then the next day you want to be like, Ooh, it's a little tender, but like, you know, I can still walk and run and jump and like everything. And um, I think anything beyond soreness that lasts two or maybe three days uh, means that you just did too much and you probably should, uh, should kind of go back and look at what you did and maybe do a little less next time. It's funny you say that because I had uh, Carl. I had uh, Carl Hardwick from uh, OPEX. He's like their their trainings. Um, he's their new CEO. I just yeah, saw yeah. a release on that. Yeah. So that, he's super cool guy, and um, we talked a little bit before and after, and kind of touched on some of this stuff because uh, he said something in the podcast where I was like, you know, 
Um, what do you say to the person that's like chasing soreness or something like that? And uh, I have my own beliefs of like, you know, basically, I, I, which is kind of funny because we're 100% in line as far as our thoughts on that. But uh, he said something along the lines of, uh, and I quoted him here, it was like, uh, if your program is done correctly, most muscle soreness is non-existent. And um, when he said that, I got so many messages and emails from people that have followed me. They were like, that guy said that you shouldn't get sore. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and when he said that, I remember I was like, well, so I, I didn't get to ask him. I didn't think about it uh, quickly enough, but I wanted to ask him, like, what are some of the metrics that you would gauge or give people to gauge, like whether they had a good training or not? Um, so I love that you kind of gave some of those because I think those get lost um, in that one statement when you're like, you should never get sore. And, and then, you know, I think there's some level of soreness that should be there, but you're right. You shouldn't be broken for like two to three days at a time. It's just too much. Yeah, no, for sure. And then I guess, should we move into deloads? Yeah. Yeah. So I, as far as I actually wrote that down, like deload structure, like um, I know I've heard three or four different ways that people do them. I'm curious on how you run those. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're really, the way I tell people is that there's really only one way to fuck up a deload and it's, it's if you work too hard. Um, and, and I would, so I, I put three kind of tangible ways in which you can assess just post-workout, whether you had a a good deload workout. Um, one would be that you stayed at least five to six reps shy of failure on all of your movements. Uh, meaning that if you could do 15 reps with a weight, you did less than 10. Um, you should have an endorphin rush similar to that of going for a hike or like a long walk with your friends. So you finish the workout and you're like, yeah, that feels good. Like I, you know, I feel like, you know, my brain's a little clearer. I don't have that mental lethargy, but, um, but at the same time, you know, I don't really feel like I had a a great workout. And then that would be the third criteria is leave feeling like you did not have a great workout. Um, So if you can follow those criteria, then that is like the basic like you did a deload correctly. And I even tell people like, even though there seems to be science that says, you know, going in and doing your deload week helps you recover faster than not doing your deload week and, and, you know, just taking the week off of the gym. But I tell people, you know, it's really up to you. Um, if you want to just take a week off from the gym, that's fine. If you want to do the deload week as I program it, that's fine too. If you want to combine the two, like I have some people that are like, you know, I want to work out a little bit, but I also want to take a few days off. And I'm like, okay, we'll do one upper body and one lower body or two full body sessions. And, you know, you'll take four days off and then we'll come back. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are kind of like the basic general tenets of deload week. But as far as getting into like the nitty gritty of how I program it, assuming people want to do the deload week, um, these are kind of the three uh, areas that I try to focus on. So I try to reduce total load. only by about 10%. So I don't reduce load a whole ton. If someone was doing 200 pounds on their squat, then they'll do like 180. Um, I try to reduce reps achieved by about 20%. So that same person that was squatting 200 is now squatting 180. If they were doing 10 reps with 200, they're now doing eight reps with 180. Um, And then the other thing I do is I try to reduce total volume by about half. So if they were doing four sets at 200, now they're doing two sets at 180. I like that. I and like that, that a lot, actually. Yeah, that's my favorite approach. I feel like it, it, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of reducing load a lot, which is why I choose 10%. Because personally and with clients, I've just found that if you go through a deload week after you've just, you know, hit failure and peaked, and then you have this period where you're like, now I'm going to lift 50% of what I was lifting, you just kind of mentally like lose focus. And that might make more sense if we're between macro cycles 
where you're like, okay, we're just going to go super light, lift really light weights and just really focus on recovery. But when we're doing mesocycle to mesocycle, but our repeating movements are staying the same, I think it's still important to feel relatively heavy weight where you, where you mentally, you can't just completely disconnect from the lift. I like that. Um, you know, you talk a lot about like, you know, the different cycles and stuff like that. And I'm curious a little bit, I want to jump just a, a little bit into periodization from there. I think like it's a good bridge. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I find that with like most clients that most people, you know, in general health or, you know, general fitness, physique, whatever, that they're, they're really, you know, shooting after aesthetics. Like, I just have this belief that, you know, going in and out of like accumulation phases over the, you know, the course of, you know, the rest of your life essentially can work very, very well for most people. And then there's obviously there's certain populations to where like, you know, a straight up, you know, six week meso cycle to where you're taking them, you know, accumulate, intensify, either test or perform, whatever it may be. Um, what are your thoughts on like, I, I guess we'll start with like, what are, what were some, a basic guideline that you would run through as far as like periodization for general fitness client, and then um, maybe expand a little bit more on like a performance based person. Uh, depending on their goal, of course. And performance would be something like, like physique could be performance. Yeah, physique or, you know, we could do powerlifter, a CrossFit competitor. Mm-hmm. And I know each one of those will be a little bit different, but it's I think different. The, general, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the general template sure. I think is still there as far as like the phases of it. So for general fitness clients, I mean, general fitness is kind of an odd term because it right. doesn't it doesn't depict whether the person is like dead serious about it or not. I mean, you can be like general yeah, fitness, but you're true. not like competing. Like someone like me, I've only competed in, in a, a bodybuilding physique show once in my life, but I would still consider myself like a diehard. Like I, like I train like somebody that competes, you know? Okay. Um, so I think the distinction there is, is important because, you know, general fitness clients, I've had general fitness clients that really never need a deload week. Um, like if someone's training, two to three times a week, full body program or like upper lower full or something like that. Like they're training three times a week or less. I don't, I don't really know if they need a deload week. I mean, maybe like I'll tell them to take a week off once a year. Um, but the way that someone who's in general fitness is going to be periodized throughout the year is also very different than somebody who's training for a performance or some sort of end goal, right? Um, right. Standing on stage, competing in an event, whatever it is, having to perform optimally at a certain point. Um, so for a general fitness client, I think managing fatigue is probably probably the most important. Um, just keeping, keeping tabs on kind of the accumulation of fatigue over the period of time. Um, I don't work a whole ton with people that I would consider falling into that general population. Mm-hmm. Not that everyone I work with competes because that's not true either. But I think that the people that I work with that, that don't compete in um, whether it's CrossFit or, or powerlifting or, or, or physique, the people that don't compete still kind of train like, like they want to optimize everything. For sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't have like a whole lot of insight on periodizing general fitness just because I don't, I don't think too many of them really a, a work hard enough work frequently enough or use enough volume to necessarily warrant like a fully periodized out year. Okay. I like that. Uh, what are you, what are you, yeah. What are your thoughts on that as far so, as, like, so I, I guess, I guess the, it was a poorly framed question, but the, I was just curious on, you know, mom or dad, you know, soccer mom or, or soccer dad, whatever, probably don't need any sort of like periodized approach. But I guess the, the better question would be like, you know, somebody who, does want to see some sort of like strength enhancements and maybe more along the lines of, I would say, uh, uh, 
a couple points shy of what you're trying to do. Like you're definitely a diehard, you, you know, you train a ton, but for, for most people who like, Hey, I want to see my back squat increase, or I want to see my, you know, my, gosh, my bench press increase or something like that. I think there's some merit in giving them like, you know, accumulation intensify, maybe not this big, long drawn out testing phase, but kind of taking them through different phases. Um, I guess that's more of the frame question that I was looking for. I think I just framed it really terribly. No, no, no problem. No problem. I may have answered it wrong too. Um, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that ultimately when, when you have with a general fitness client, you have to kind of nail down and be like, what's the objective Cause somebody that's like, I want to increase my bench or my squat numbers as a general fitness practitioner versus somebody that's telling me that they want to just get as yoked as possible and strength numbers don't matter to them, but they just sure. want to look yoked. Right. The way that you would periodize out that year becomes different. So it's almost like the general fitness client that wants to focus on strength metrics almost gets trained like a power building athlete. Right. And then the person that just wants to focus on, you know, feeling good, looking good and, and building muscle almost gets trained like a physique athlete. You just don't ever take them to the extreme ends of it. So the physique athlete would never diet down to 5% body fat, just like the person that cares about their bench or their squat would never do a completely tapering peak cycle and then go stand on a platform and, and lift with whatever form is required for them to pull a one rep max deadlift or whatever. Um, but I think that the general premise by which you would go periodize that person out is, is still the same because they still have these goals, right? right. Um, so with that in mind, I think that when you look at a physique athlete, um, the majority of mesocycles throughout the year should probably be hypertrophy-focused mesocycles with straight sets. Um, I think science has been pretty solid these days that you know mechanical tension is, is going to be our number one focus, which is just pounding straight sets and over time, increasing reps and loading and potentially volume. Um, I think that the, in a physique mesos or a physique macro cycle, looking at a year, the reason that you break up the hypertrophy accumulation phases is, mm. is, is a, um, potentially adherence. Maybe they're just like, I cannot do sets of six to 15 reps anymore. Straight sets. Like I just need something different. Um, I think that's a, a viable reason as any. I think joint integrity is one too. Um, I think that switching up training, even going from like something that's six to 15 rep sets, which is more hypertrophy and taking them down to like two to five rep sets can actually help. Um, I heard somebody talk about fatigue, central nervous system fatigue the other day. And I thought it was really interesting because we, I always thought, that sets of one, two, three, four reps were going to be significantly more essentially nervous system fatiguing than a set of 15 or 20 reps, uh, mostly because the weight is heavier and, and you fail sooner. So it seems like more of a burden on your body, right? Right. The way that this was described to me in recently was that think about it this way. If you fail at three reps, that might be a 300 pound back squat, right? So, so you're like, I can no longer lift 300 pounds for three reps. That is my failure point, right? but you can still lift 250 pounds. Maybe you just couldn't lift 300 pounds. If you do a set of 20 reps to failure, what's that weight? Like 150. So you did 150 pounds and now you're reaching failure at 20 reps. Now you're incapable of lifting 150 pounds, which means that your total strength deficit is like 50% of what it was on the three rep set. So the total fatigue on your body is that much higher. Right. Right. And so, so I heard that and I was like, yeah, I still don't know if I like fully buy into that logic just because 
from personal anecdote, like, I don't know, doing a set of 20 reps of something doesn't seem as, as fatiguing as doing a set of three in some ways. And then in other ways, it's, it's way more fatiguing, like cardiovascularly and metabolically, it's extremely fatiguing. So I just thought that was an interesting side note that fatigue can happen in all different rep ranges in different ways. So taking somebody that was doing hypertrophy zone rep ranges and then taking them down and doing like a four to six week block of more strength focused work, it, it could be, you know, just a great tool to use for them to a build adherence and more motivation to go back to those higher rep ranges. But also it could start healing some of the things that maybe they were getting from just doing all that higher rep volume. Yeah. And you know, two, two things in, inside of that. So the, the first thing is that for me, like mentally, like I love the three to five rep range. I don't know what it is. It's just something that I really enjoy it when I personally train that way. And, um, it does beat up my joints a little bit, but mentally, you know, I struggle with 10 rep anything, you know, especially on like a compound lift. Like if you tell me mm -hmm. I'm going to do a, a 10 rep, you know, we'll just say back squat. That for me is a miserable existence versus like a, you know, one, three and five rep range. I tend to have a lot more fun there. Um, and, and then, you know, as far as like, you know, fatigue accumulation and stuff like that, um, I personally, just through anecdote, feel more fatigued from the higher rep stuff than the lower rep mm -hmm. stuff. However, I've trained tons of Olympic lifters who feel the exact opposite to where they are wiped, you know, and they, you know, you could say that it has something to do with their, you know, their physical preparedness because all they're doing is one threes and fives all the time. Right. But, um, it, you know, something to be said, like for me with personal anecdote, the bigger rep ranges tend to wear me out a little bit more, um, you know, and, and around this conversation, I was reading some new research probably like a week or two ago. Um, and I can't remember if it was like a newer study or not, but, uh, it was done by Greg Knuckles and the guys over at, um, mass research Stronger review. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but they were talking about the law of specificity and they were trying to, and I, and I say they, it seemed as if the scientific community was trying to debunk the periodization conversation, um, saying that like, you know, if you work on strength, you're going to be strong. If you work on hypertrophy, you're going to be hypertrophy, but maybe they don't kind of blend from thing to thing. What do you think about, you know, I don't know if you've read that study in particular, but what do you think about that whole general concept of, you know, if you're working on hypertrophy, you're going to have hypertrophy if you're working on strength. Because, you know, when I was coming up, it was like you do hypertrophy work to prepare you for the strength work later. Um, and I guess this is more of like a performance-based conversation, but it, you kind of piqued my mind when you were talking about, you know, the different phases and stuff like that. And I was like, I wonder mm -hmm. what Brian thinks about the law of specificity. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree in the sense that like, you add, you adapt to the, to the work that's put in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm just like you, I hate high reps. Um, and just kind of going back and, and touching on the, the fatigue element that, that you mentioned regarding the fatigue from higher reps versus lower reps. Yeah. I think the, there's a built in notion and it's, it's important. It's correct that when you're doing higher reps to get more out of it, you have to move closer to failure. Um, whereas when you're doing a set of three to five, like, nobody's taking a set of three to five to failure, or at least you shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, you should be, you know, leaving a couple reps in reserve. So I think that you're still getting a ton of quote effective reps in those lower rep ranges because the weight is so heavy, but to get those effective reps at higher rep ranges, you have to push a lot closer to failure. So I think that the, the fatigue point there comes a little faster um, because of that. So just kind of a, a tangent, but I wanted to touch on that. Um, and then going into your question about, about specificity. Um, yeah. So when I do higher rep sets, I get better at performing higher rep sets. When I do lower rep sets, 
you get better at performing lower reps. That's, I think a lot of that is the neural adaptations associated with like sure. skill learning and, and stuff like that. So, so that's not a surprise. Um, it's also an interesting thing looking at the adaptations that occur in different rep ranges across different muscle fiber types. Um, where somebody that's a fast fish muscle fiber person, you know, has a proclivity to want to stick in that lower rep range, which maybe you and I are because mm -hmm. of that. Um, whereas somebody that's a slower twitch person might actually prefer to do those higher rep ranges because they really don't get anything out of lower rep ranges. Like the percentage of their one rep max that they're able to use for a set of five, it might be like, you know, 92% or something because they're so slow twitch. Whereas when I'm doing a set of five, I'm using like 80%, right? Um, so they're able to use maybe 80% and still hit that 12 to 15 rep range, which is crazy to me. Right, right. So they're able to get a lot more out of that set. Um, but regarding kind of your statement of, of, of adaptation to what we're doing, I mean, I think it makes sense. Um, I didn't see the study yet from mass that you were talking about. So I'll have to go back and check that one out. Um, I listen to all those guys on the, the podcast and stuff. They're really smart. Sure. And, um, and I would say regarding kind of the thing that, that, that I thought was interesting that what you said was that periodization is unnecessary. You lift heavy, you get strong, you lift lighter, you get bigger, which is interesting that they, that it comes across that way because those guys are also on the forefront of the research that's showing that sets of five to 30 produce hypertrophy right. almost equally across, across rep ranges. So when they're talking about strength, they must be referring to even things under five reps because mm -hmm. shit, you know, equated set for set, a set sets of five should do the same thing as sets of 30. Um, so I don't know, dude, I don't know. I, I think, I think I'm just as confused as anyone. And I kind of defer to those guys on that topic. Yeah. It's funny because every time, you know, uh, you know, when I was a junior coach coming up, I thought I knew it all and like I understood it. And it's the more I learn and the more I gain an understanding of stuff, I guess the more you realize that you're, um, I almost feel incompetent sometimes because it's like, holy yeah. crap, there's so much stuff for me to learn. And then like a study comes out, comes out like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's against everything I've ever learned. Um, and then you, you, you start to look at what, like what you do and what you program and you're like, huh, that's interesting. You know, maybe how do I try that? but still stick to what I know has produced results for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you know? So it just becomes well, this, that, this funny paradigm. The way that, that people interpret research too, I think is really interesting because, you know, I, we're both, you know, pretty, pretty into the, the evidence-based space. So we consider ourselves evidence-based practitioners. Right. And, and in the, in that space, you know, most of the work is like, yeah, two reps shy of failure is just as good as failure, blah, blah, blah. Well, I follow this guy on Instagram, uh, Paul Carter, who I've been following actually since the 90s when I first started lifting. He was one of the first guys I ever uh, the, I ever talked to on the internet in 1998, I think, was this right. guy, Paul Carter, who writes for T Nation. So he's also an evidence-based practitioner, and yet everything that he puts out on his Instagram page and on T Nation and stuff is like, you got to train to failure. Volume is not the number one thing needed for oh, progression, wow. blah, blah, blah. And so you read his stuff and he has legit reasons for interpreting the research the way that he does. And he considers himself evidence-based, but then everyone else that I follow in the evidence-based space or many of the people I follow are on the opposite side of the spectrum. So um, I think ultimately like the more and more that I've kind of delved deeper and deeper into this evidence-based space, I just kind of feel that the ultimate balance really just comes down to, to, uh, to your proximity to failure dictates how much volume you can do. And yeah. people are getting yoked and jacked doing 
one to two sets to failure and hitting six to eight sets per muscle group per week and doing four reps and stuff like that. And then you have people that are doing 25 sets a week and leaving two to four reps in reserve and they're getting jacked too. So um, I think a lot of it really comes down to the way that you prefer to train, what works best with your body and your mind. I mean, training to failure all the time is brutal. Like I used to do that shit before I started CrossFit in like the early 2000s. Like everything I did was to failure. And I would literally start dreading sessions because I knew that every time it was going to hurt and I had to beat the logbook every time. Yeah. And um, since kind of falling more into the evidence-based space and beginning to look at progressive overload, not as something that is an actionable thing that must occur session to session, but it's, it's more of something that results from prior adaptations. So like the best analogy I've seen for this is like, if you did a set of, of bench press at 225 to failure and say you got 10 reps, you could take the active approach and be like, okay, well, I hit 225 for 10, so now I'm going to go 230 and I'm going to do whatever. And maybe it's eight or nine reps. And then I'm going to go 235 and I'm going to keep adding weight to the bar and I'm just going to keep pushing this and punching this. The way that I look at it is like the reason you add weight to the bar is because you got stronger and you earned the right to add weight to the bar. So with that 225 by 10 to failure is great. The next week, maybe you keep 225 and you get 11 and then you keep 225 and you get 12. Well, eventually you're going to reach a point where 225 for 15 and you're like, mm, I mean, I'm getting stronger. So I guess I've earned the right to add weight. So then you add some weight and you go back down to 10 to 12 reps and you earn the right to add weight again by, by getting stronger. So instead of forcing weight on the bar, let the weight come to you um, and just make sure that your technique is on point, your nutrition's on point, you're sleeping well. And over the course of time, you will get stronger and you will have to add weight to keep up with the adaptations that have occurred. Awesome. Great explanation. Um, you guys, if you're listening to the show right now and you have not, if your ears are not just blowing smoke at them right now from all this knowledge, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, so I guess a couple more questions here and then uh, trying to respect your time. I know you, you got something you need to get to, but um, so I'm curious, you know, there's, I have a lot of coaches that listen to the show and you know, it's something I always try to ink out is like where other coaches go to get knowledge. Right. Because, you know, sure people follow me and they follow you and they get information from that, but that also comes from somewhere else. You know, it comes from research reviews. It comes from, you know, living in PubMed and all these different places. But I would say like, let's throw out like two or three of the, your favorite places to go and get information that way that coaches are listening to this right now can go and either subscribe or, or, you know, you guys should be following Brian. That's something that's important first and foremost. But on top of that too, like where are some places that you go to learn from? Just kind of throw out two or three places that you visit. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So the research reviews are huge. Um, Mass and weightology are both dope. I love that, that you have people that are breaking down really complicated research and putting it into terms that uh, the layman can kind of read, understand, and implement with practical takeaways. Um, and then I really, really have found that the um, – the really del the delving in to the philosophies of these two evidence-based organizations where you have RP Renaissance periodization on one side where they're this like volume, volume, volume work from your minimum effective volume to your maximum recover volume add sets every week, blah, blah, blah. This whole spectrum, which I think is super cool and very insightful and they have a lot of really good quality points. And then you have the three DMJ guys on the other side. Uh, the Eric Helms and, and those guys 
um, that are not on board as much about adding sets every week, but they're more kind of about progressing the stimulus each week. And so these two guys are both super smart. Like Eric Helms has a PhD and Mike Isertel has a PhD. And these two guys like get on podcasts together. And right now, I don't know if you've seen, they have this, this um, intellectual battle going on on the internet. Mm. Um, so Eric Helms on his podcast, Iron Culture, they did a hour and a half episode on progression for hypertrophy. And they specifically made an argument about why you should not add sets every week. And so literally a week later, Mike Isertel puts together this like ridiculously long write-up that he published on the Renaissance Periodization website for free. So you can go read it where he rebuts the points that Eric made about why you should not increase sets. So I love, I love these evidence-based debates. I think they do nothing but create more information for us to learn from. I think it pushes the industry forward. And uh, those two guys are at the forefront of kind of who I'm learning from right now. That's awesome. You know, I, I heard uh, Dr. Isertel, um, I need to get him on the show. Maybe Cody can connect me to him. But uh, Dr. Isertel and, and Eric Helms were on his Iron Culture podcast. Gosh, it had to have been maybe in the fall of this year. And yep. it was funny that before they came on, they're like, the intro's like, you know, Godzilla and Mamothra are getting, you know, and, <laughs> and, and it, it kind of, the, the show is interesting because they're kind of poking fun at each other the whole time. But what I love about their debates, uh, the ones that I've seen is that there's also like a great amount of respect right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, which for me, I can appreciate because, you know, they're also, they're taking shots at each other, but you know, it's, it's, it's most often from what I've seen so far, it's very humorous sometimes. And then the other side of it too, is like, I, you know, one has very good thoughts that they're putting out and you know, why they came to their conclusions. And then the other one does too. And me lo- watching from the outside, looking at both of those really smart guys, uh, they both make sense to me. So then it's like, you know, there's also a level of like, so what do I do? Somebody tell me, you know, but ultimately what it lands on is just like, there's more tools for the coach out there than ever to try to give what is best for your clients. Cause I think at the end of the day, as long as we are doing the best we can and we're, um, you know, Dr. Zatel talks about this a lot, like having been a rational, rationally skeptic of most things, you know, he uses words like this might work for most people. It's probably right. going to, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and I can appreciate that because, you know, you, you said this a second ago is like, just the hypertrophy conversation, five to 30 reps. Like that's right. a crazy, that, I mean, who knows, you know, what is effective inside of it. It's such a large spread and we're just talking reps. Like that goes so much, so many more layers deep. Um, so I can appreciate that a lot. Um, so that's awesome. Great recommendations. Uh, so moving forward, we'll do some of the closeout questions here. Um, you know, some people got like their great personality questions and stuff like that. Um, my questions are, are pretty simple. So um, big picture, like what is the impact like that you're hoping to, to make through like your content and your coaching, right? Like, you know, when you lay your head down at the end of the end of time and you're done, um, what is that dent that like you're trying to make in the world? Right? Like, what is that oh, thing man. you're trying to do? You Such can, a big can, question, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'd love to find a way to impact more people. And so impact more people is the end goal, but what am I trying to, to do to, to impact them? What am I trying to yeah. to have them understand. So um, ultimately, I think at least at this stage in my life, and you know, we all have these different chapters and yeah. who knows oh, yeah. what's coming, but at this stage in my life, I think that my mission is really to take people that um, are either burnt out on exercise or exercising excessively to a point that they're inhibiting their own progress 
um, and try to make them understand that that things like rest days and deload weeks and modulating effort in the gym, increasing effort in the gym across a spectrum of period of time, and then being able to assess um, how much fatigue they've accumulated, being self-aware, understanding at what point they've kind of maxed out their potential for this accumulation period and when do they need to deload. Um, just creating better awareness with people as far as um, being able to respond and program their own bodies for, for their optimal dose of volume, intensity, and frequency. Um, that's my mission right now. Yeah. And um, I, I just hope to be able to continue doing that, to be able to continue to reach people on platforms like this, and uh, to be able to continue to learn from people like Eric Helms and, and Isratel and, and the rest of the evidence-based crew. For sure. Love it, man. Um, last question for you. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? <laughs> so usually, usually uh, I'll throw in mine here so you can think, right? So mine, somebody yeah, told please. me one time, uh, uh, the guy's name was Vedro Schooley and he said it on a podcast. And um, even though he didn't directly give it to me, it's something that uh, I've taught both of my sons now. And it's kind of a, a theme inside of our house is um, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So for me, that piece of advice makes me think of like, you know, as an example, when I'm doing this show right now, um, I make sure that I'm all in on this show. I'm not, I'm not, or I'm not, you know, flipping through my phone. I have another computer up that has all my questions on it. I'm taking notes. Like I'm here, I'm present, but I also take that into like when I coach, when I spend time with my wife, when I play mm -hmm. with my kids, like I try to be all in because, you know, the same way if I was doing a show and texting somebody that would blend over to if I'm with my kids or if I'm coaching my clients or I'm leading my teams. Right. So for me, that was a piece, uh, it was a quote, but also a piece of advice that really has stuck with me personally um, for probably the past like five years now. So uh, along those lines, I don't know if that context kind of helped you out or not. Or Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I think being present is really important. I don't know that that was like a piece of advice. Maybe my mom told me that ages ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, being present is huge. Um, I think I think maybe the best piece of advice was to find your passion and make that your career. Um, and I, I think that that's something that, you know, you, I have so many friends and, and people that, that are not doing what they want to do and they go and punch the clock every day and shit. Most of them are actually happy that quarantine's here cause they get to work from home. But like, I remember being one of those people where you go work your nine to five and then you, you go and the weekend comes and you get excited about Sunday night football and you're drunk all weekend so that you can, go and do another miserable week. And, um, that was never the life I wanted. And when, when I was kind of thinking about it and that, that statement came across to, to make your passion, your, your profession or, you know, make passion, your focus of your life and being able to try to help people through that passion. I think that that kind of provided some clarity and perspective for me that, um, helped kind of push me forward and get into the industry and give it a real shot. I love that, man. Um, that would probably be like my third or fourth one as well, just because, you know, to, to think for me a couple of years ago, to think that I'd be sitting here with, you know, Brian recording a podcast, talking about training and fitness, something that I love more than anything in the world, sitting in my gyms while sessions are going on and my kids are here. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like just to think like, you know, for me, I was a government contractor before this and I worked, yeah. 12 hour, I worked 12 <laughs> hours a day and I hate, like I, you know, I was a, a radar guy and I'm just watching the radar go and, it was a miserable existence. I worked with tons of people that just hated their job and, and Sunday night football was their highlight. But now like every single day, I'm pretty pumped on just Monday at 
9.30 a.m., you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that, dude. Uh, so plug yourself, Brian. I, I enjoyed the show. I want to make sure that other people can go and, and find you and hear more about you. And, um, you know, guys, go digest this dude's content. I read his post. I try to make a point every time he posts something on his feed or his story, I make sure that I watch it. So, uh, Brian, where can people find and, and learn more about you? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I'm at uh, Brian Borstein on Instagram. You can also find me by just typing in Evolved Training Systems. That is also the website where I have like a bunch of programming and some blogs and stuff like that, evolvedtrainingsystems.com. Um, I also have a company with my partner, Lori Christine King, called Paragon Training Methods. And uh, it's a lot like Evolved. We have a lot of bunch of different programs on there. Um, some different programs than what Evolved offers. Like we have a quickie program. Um, across both programs, we also have a, uh, a dumbbell only option for physique. So if you're stuck at home during COVID or anything and you just have a couple pairs of dumbbells, um, we recommend two to three varied sizes and you can pretty much do our entire dumbbell physique program. So, um, so yeah, I mean, just, you know, check me out there. Feel free to DM me or uh, shoot me an email through my website. And I'm always glad to uh, discuss training and nutrition and all the awesome aspects um, of getting super jacked. Awesome. Love it, guys. Uh, All right, Brian. So thanks for coming on today, man. I'll post all those things in the show notes as well. And um, again, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I know your time is valuable and I appreciate every minute that you spent with me. If you're new to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe button and to give us a rating and review. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram where I post daily motivational content and free training and nutritional information. Lastly, if you've been listening to this for a while and you're thinking about working with me and my team, go ahead and email me at cody at virtuousfit.com and I'll see you on the next episode.